Hello everyone, this is Donovan LaCroixy on another episode. I believe we are at episode 18, published July 3rd of 2020. On the phone with me, I've got rapper Mason. We're going to get to know Mason and we're going to talk about his story he's experienced, which is pretty traumatic, by the way, and it shows that the police, they need some work to be done. So... We're going to throw it to Mason, and we're just going to get him to introduce himself as a rapper, and then we're going to ask him about the story he experienced May 20th of 2020. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Uh, my name is Mason. I'm a rapper. I was born in uh, Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, and my family decided to move when I was young. I lived in a plethora of countries from uh, Pakistan, Switzerland, and... Uh, also uh, Ghana, and uh, through those, I feel like I, I really adopted music as like a, a constant because I was constantly moving uh, places, having to make new friends, so music was like the one constant thing that I always had with me, and what was really prevalent in that for me was hip-hop. You know, uh, when I was eight years old, I first heard uh, Eminem Without Me, and that blew my mind, and I, I was all on the hip-hop train. I started listening to Kanye West, Mos Def, all these. And I just fell in love with the culture of hip-hop. Um, and so, yeah, uh, that's a little bit about me. Okay. And you have singles recently. You just dropped an EP in late, late April, right? Yeah, that's right. So I uh, dropped an EP in late April called How I Lost My Soul, which kind of details a lot of uh, problems that I had with uh, uh, depression, uh, addiction, and uh, as well kind of adopting too much the kind of college party lifestyle and living too much and you know going out for the parties every day and so that's kind of what it's about is my experience is going through that in my early 20s and mentally you are okay you seem like you're okay now mentally with the depression and the struggles with substance you are okay now right yeah i i, I got a hold of that all in uh, 2017 about and uh, since then it's been smooth sailing and i really had like a whole turnaround thing you know i was in a place where i was kind of doing things that weren't necessarily the right uh the right ideas with the right people and i was just in a place where i was spending too much money on drugs and dumb stuff and uh i decided to quit it out and start working towards you know the things that i actually wanted because instead of you know being faded for a few hours and you know playing the uh, xbox or whatever i wanted to actually be doing something that had meaning to myself Mm -hmm. Congratulations on your sobriety, by the way, and I hope you keep that up. Thank you very much. Uh, talk about your singles. What do you got that you want the listeners to listen to at this time? Um, so I have uh, Maelstrom out, which is kind of like a down-tempo, jazzy uh, uh, song that really details uh, my talk about depression. It uses Maelstrom as a whirlpool, kind of a ref. Uh, uh, metaphor for how depression for me is kind of like a spiral in the sense that uh, when you start having these negative thoughts, they kind of drag you further downwards and you keep spinning down that hole. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's helped you through the music, like you said, right? For sure, yeah. And I definitely had, like, when I think about each of my songs, I can think about, like, you know, a thousand songs that were uh, helping influence me through that uh, period of my life. And so I like to kind of take homage to those as well through my music. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, you have more singles right on the way that you'll be having future music, right? 
Absolutely, yes. I have a bunch of music that I have finished that I'm waiting to release on streaming platforms. I'm just a very, uh, I'm the kind of person that I like to make sure that I'm doing things right. I don't just want to kind of throw everything out there and then it gets poor views or whatever. I'm trying to actually make something that will uh, have a, a build up to it, you know? And the future album will be in the works, right? Even though EP is different from album, you will have a future Absolutely. album. Absolutely. Okay, okay, yep. okay. We'll look out for that, okay? Yes, thank you very much. All right, so I want you to talk to us, and talk to us carefully. On May 20th, 2020, you experienced something, and it's very traumatizing because here the people that, that are supposed to serve and protect us were not serving and protecting you on May 20th. Do you want to explain your story to the listeners? And listeners, before he explains, this is, we're going to talk, we talk race here. This is from a white man's perspective, too. Absolutely. So, what do you call, he is a white man. I'm just saying this can happen to white people. So if any black people are listening to this, they're saying, yeah, right, this didn't happen. <laughs> yes, it yeah, did happen. I I even talked to him on the phone, but to make sure if it didn't happen, I would not have done this interview and I would have shot him down. I even asked him, remember, I asked you, did this happen before we start? Because I'm not looking to get in trouble and I don't want to get sued either for having a wrong story too. So I'm going to let you throw the, I'm going to let you throw out what happened on May 20th, 2020. Okay, so on uh, May 20th, uh, I decided to leave my home around, I would say, about 2.30 uh, in the afternoon. Uh, I hadn't been, left the house at all that day. I was kind of being a bit lazy before I went out to go working for the uh, evening. And so I went out and I started biking up north on Young Street towards Eglinton from my home. And uh, I had uh, barely left my home for about five minutes when all of a sudden... A uh, Toronto police van uh, cut in front of me on the sidewalk with the sirens blaring, and immediately I was kind of taken aback, and I didn't—it uh, didn't fully register, honestly, that it was about me to begin with. Just because I was like, I didn't do anything wrong. It, it didn't—it strikes me as a bit odd, and so it took me a second to comply with them when an, uh, a female officer uh, pushed out of the door of the van uh, with a gun drawn at me, with a. Uh, uh, and she started saying, get off the bike, get off the bike. And I, I panicked and I started getting off the bike. And I looked to my left and I saw another officer with a gun drawn. And behind me, uh, another officer also with a gun. And uh, at this point, I knew that this was something that was serious beyond uh, what I had expected when I left my house for that day. And uh, so I, I, and then they told me to get on my knees, get on the ground. And they kind of like came up to me and they grabbed my hands from from like in front of me behind my back and handcuffed them uh when an officer came up to me and he read me uh, my rights and he told me that i was being I, i'd been handcuffed because there had been someone spotted up at eglinton who had matched my description in that he was on a mountain bike wearing a hoodie with a mask and he had been seen with a knife and uh i, I matched the description so that's why they had uh, uh intercepted me and you knew... And so then, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oops. Yeah. Uh, so then uh, they... they uh, Then from the handcuff position, they uh, told me to stand up. And so I started standing up. And the officer who was to my right 
was being uh, trying to uh, work the situation, and the officer to my left was being very uh, forceful with his attitude. He was shouting at me to stand up, and then he told me to uh, put my forehead on the glass of the bank that was uh, next to us uh, so that they could search me and uh, 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 ascertain whether or not I was the person they were looking for. And uh, they, they got me up, they pushed me against the wall, and the officer was saying, put your forehead against the glass. And at that moment, I told them I couldn't because my cap, my baseball cap, was preventing me from putting my head there. And instead of uh, lifting it up and allowing me to push my head there, he just mashed the back of my head so that my cap fell backwards onto, like, on, onto the ground. And uh, my, my forehead was, like, mashed into the glass. Uh, and uh, so from there, I had the same female officer that held me at gunpoint came up to me, and she asked me if I had the weapon on me, and she asked me if I had uh, anything in my waistband. And I guess in the, a mixture of, like, the shock and adrenaline, I kind of wasn't thinking right, and when she said waistband, I thought she meant a holster. So idiotically on my part, I said, I don't have a waistband. And then she found out that I did, and... Uh, but she was like, oh, but there's nothing here. They've searched my bag. They searched the area around. They found that it could not have been me. And uh, at that point, the officers then all uh, departed, except for the two who were right next to me at the time that I was being handcuffed. And uh, at that point, they started to undo the handcuffs, and the left handcuff came off with ease, and the right handcuff was uh, completely jammed. It didn't, uh, um, it didn't come off. And the officers was like starting to really uh, work it and nothing was happening, nothing was happening, nothing was happening. Uh, so at this point he, he calls in the other officer and they try fiddling around with it. They douse it in hand sanitizer with a cuff, which just makes everything a lot more slippery down there. And then uh, at this time they, they uh, there's a little kid actually who comes by and he looks at me like I'm, like the devil, like I, I try to like smile at him to show him that I'm not this evil criminal that he sees in his head, and he just like burrows his his face into his mom's leg, which kind of made me feel like a like a villain or something. Mm. Um, yeah. And then, uh, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Okay. Um, so then, uh, at this point, they uh, decide, okay, let's go inside the bank so that we can try and figure this situation out. And inside the bank, they're trying a whole bunch of things from, they go, they take a pair of pliers, and they cut a, a metal shiv off the handcuff, and they try to shimmy it inside the lock, and it won't come off. Um, the handcuff uh, is, is, is jammed there properly. So eventually, after a few minutes, I would say about five minutes, they called into, like, the, the main headquarters, and they called in for some bolt cutters, and uh, eventually, uh, um, after another 20 minutes, those officers came, and it was about four officers that came just specifically with the bolt cutters to uh, cut them off. So I think it was in that way just like a, a waste of resources that they needed to send that many officers for an innocent man who had been locked up by accident. Hmm. And you are innocent, and you maintain your innocence. Are you okay? So let me ask you from a journalist's perspective. And by the of way, course. I am very, very sorry that you experienced all of that. I am terribly sorry. Did you? Thank you very much. Do you think they could have had the right person? Let's say if they they in their defense, the police says it was you. What would you say to that? I would say there's absolutely no way. I mean, 
I mean, my building that I live in has security cameras. I'm 100% certain that if you were to go and look at the security cameras for that day, you would see me leaving the house three minutes before the event happened where I was eventually uh, handcuffed. To serve and to protect. You hear, listeners? To serve and to protect. Toronto police are supposed to be protecting us, and this is what they do. Like, the embarrassment. And what were your thoughts being a white man? What do you think? Because black listeners might say, well, you're lucky they didn't kill you. What do you say to that? I say absolutely. I, I, I feel that 100%. And that definitely was a thought that went through my mind as I was walking home and as all this... Uh, 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 energy was leaving my, my, my body. I was just thinking like, wow, what could have happened? I could have potentially like had a situation where I could have not, uh, survived this, you know? And, uh, in a lot of ways, then I sort of felt a sense of, uh, privilege from that, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you still, do you feel privileged still, or do you feel really frightened now? Now I will say it's shifted my attitude on uh, how I see police entirely. And I've, in my past, I've had times where I've had altercations with them. I've had small run-ins, nothing to this scale. But at this point, I have I have a lot of time spent on my bicycle. And whenever I'm around a police uh, vehicle now, I instantly start to feel, you know, my heart beating faster. I start to feel as though, oh, this could be the time where they do it again, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what would you like to say to Toronto police right now? Because listeners, remember, these people are supposed to be serving and to protect us. And on May 20th, Mason was not protected and he was falsely accused. What do you want to tell the police, Toronto police? Um, I would just like to say that they should have handled the situation better, in my opinion. And I know they might look at it as, oh, I'm a civilian. I don't understand the pressure of the job. You know, I potentially had a knife, yes. But they also had three officers that were armed on me at that point. So I feel as though there was a lot of uh, uh, steps skipped to the point where instantly I had a weapon drawn on me, where they didn't actually, like, I feel if maybe they saw that I had a weapon and, like, I was, like, riding my bike, waving a knife around or something, of course. But they had no uh, reasonable cause to suspect that I had something, you know? But officers, he didn't have a weapon. That's what he was saying. He didn't have nothing. Like, you didn't have a weapon. Did they ever find the guy that they were looking for? Like, did you ever get feedback? Honestly, I've never heard anything about that ever again. Like, it was just the kind of thing that they sent me on my way, and then I think in their heads they're like, oof, you know? Well, it's not who. This is many people around the globe are going to be listening to this. So what do you want to tell people that have experienced something similar to this? Because this is coming out to the light on our show. Yeah, absolutely. I feel, to anyone who else who's experienced this, I 100%, I feel their pain and how how absolutely world-shifting it can be. Because in your opinion, these people are here that are... Uh, they're meant, as you said, serve and protect. That's the, the tagline, right? But then in this exact instance and in instances all over the globe, and, you know, everybody knows what happened seven days later in USA after what happened with me. And uh, that's just not right to happen at all. You know, no matter what the cause, what happens is not, uh, it's not a way to treat a civilian, you know? Mm-hmm. There was, okay, so let me ask you this do you think toronto police should be defunded yes or no and by the way they lost the vote by the way that i think it was 16 to 8 16 I didn't saw that, yeah. 8 
approved it. That. So what were your thoughts, and do you think they should be defunded? Personally, I'm for the defunding of the police. I think that uh, clearly you see, like, there's clips of them where they have weapons where it's like that's not exactly necessary. They always have, you know, the highest uh, capable cruisers, the most capable vehicles. I feel like sometimes a little bit of overspending is done there where perhaps you could reinvest in things like uh, education or other public health systems that uh, truly benefit everybody in a more altruistic way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, what are your thoughts about Black Lives Matter and the Toronto police right now, speaking from a white perspective? Um, I'm 100% for the cause, of course. I mean, I believe that uh, that's the case, and I feel like specifically for the Toronto police, I've seen instances, I've had friends who are black who have been treated differently by police, or even not people who are properly policed, but just like, you know, a, a bouncer at a club might uh, be a lot more harsh on my friend just because of the color of his skin, which is absolutely unjust. Mm. You see, police officers, what you guys don't understand is you have a job too, and your job is to serve and to protect us. And if there's anybody listening all over the globe who is a police officer, I would love to interview the police officer's perspective because maybe, unlike Mason said, you know, oh, you guys are just the civilians. You guys don't know what goes on. But look what's in the media, Toronto police. And police officers, look what's in the media. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's no shortage of stories of, like, crazy stuff happening in Toronto, and it feels like the news is just getting crazier and crazier by the day. Yeah, it's getting crazier and crazier by the day. What were your thoughts of what happened to George Floyd? Um, I think that the, the situation as it unfolded was absolutely unexpected, unacceptable, rather, from uh, any... Uh, perspective. I don't know how you could justify the position that the police officer had him in. It looked more like a WrestleMania hold than something that they should be training at police academy. It seemed like it was a man who was uh, solely out for uh, the intent of harming another human being and not at all for protecting the people that were around them. And there were people around who were clearly uh, in awe and shocked by the situation and that didn't prevent him from doing what he did at all. Um, and I think that the movements that it kicked off has been honestly a long time coming in USA as well, because these things have been going on for far too long. And it's the kind of thing, in my opinion, where the governments kind of give these false, uh, here you go, here's the equality without actually truly granting it, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you think it's reaching a stage where it's the people versus the police? Uh, I 100% I can see it reaching to that stage in USA. I mean, there's clips of just, like, people, um, back when they were really enforcing the COVID lockdown, there's clips of people just filming the police from their doorways and the police firing bullets at them, like uh, uh, rubber projectiles or, or other unharmful um, ammunitions. But still, like, it's not something that they should be doing to people who are just in their own front lines. Mm-hmm. Now back to you now, right? Now you were on your bike that day. You were working, right? I wasn't working at that moment. I was kind of just like, it, 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 I was trying to like warm up my body before I started working for the day, yeah. Yeah, so see, and imagine the cops, you know, imagine the trauma going, do you, and I'm going to ask this again, do you trust the police today to serve and to protect you? Uh... 
I do not trust the police to serve and protect me. I, I, I'm sure that there are people that they serve and protect, but I don't think that they're me. Or, what, or the average person, so not just me, but the average person as well. Okay, and what do you say right now to white people that probably think you're exaggerating the whole thing? You must have did it, or this doesn't happen to, to us. Come on, the police are more gentle. And like you said, it could have been like you didn't have no fractured, you know, you didn't have no fractured skull or like your helmet was a little bit cracked, but you didn't have like a bloody lip, bloody tooth or a broken nose. Again, if it was me, they'd probably, would, yeah. I probably would not make it out there alive or they probably would. And then knowing the attitude and the freshness I have, huh, police probably yeah. would have <laughs> shot me. They probably would have killed me. And then I would have been... In, they would have said, oh, I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. I think, and as well, one of the things that for me was, like, uh, I reached a, a point where, like, I kind of, like, everyone in their head thinks, like, oh, when I suddenly have, you know, weapons pulled on me, I think I'm going to, you know, John Rambo my way out of there or whatever. But that's not uh, the reality of what happened for me, at least. I started, like, going very, like, I started, like, looking at them, and I think specifically because I've had times in Toronto where I've been mugged before, and it's been, like, by a knife, and that's not the same feeling as having people who, like, you look at and you were uh, through, through uh, 100% the way that society teaches you. I look at these people as protectors, and they're aiming a weapon at me. So in that moment, I started just, like, having this these, like, moments where, like, they were telling me to do things, and I was just not complying because I was, like, trying to figure out what was going on yeah and you didn't do anything wrong according to you and i do believe you by the way but you didn't do anything <laughs> thank wrong. you very much so you're resisting you didn't do nothing wrong so of course there would be resistance in me too now again it depends what type of officer you had you're lucky too they didn't give you one punch right in your mouth too yeah absolutely i feel like and as well, I feel like when I got into the uh, the bank with them, I started getting a little bit more more uh, mouthy with them. Like when all the police officers came in, they, they asked me like, oh, how are you doing? And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm doing great. Everyone loves to spend their afternoon handcuffed with a bunch of cops. And they all just treated me like like ice cold from then on out. <laughs> so, so why didn't you like take it up with your local city councilor? file a report why didn't you do all those things and still you have to answer my question again so what do you call it i'll ask that again in a minute but why didn't you do those things before i ask that question again um i i didn't do those things i guess because it, they just didn't occur to me like i when i thought about it i thought i'd go and tell the story to bear chance like a a city councilor or you know i email my mp or something and i feel like i just get a response that says well I, I feel like there's this reasonable doubt, like you say, where people look at it and they say, well, you could be guilty, and they won't look at it as uh, from a fresher perspective as someone else might, you know, because they're looking at it from the perspective of the government. Yeah, that too, and they probably think you're white privilege too. That's what they're looking at it. So again, what do you say to white people? They do not believe you at all, and they think you are as guilty as sin. Uh... I would say, I'm sorry that you don't believe me, but uh, that's the reality that we live in, that the police are more, uh, they're, they're concerned with treating people, in my opinion, of a certain class, a specific way, uh, and uh, a higher class in a much better way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what do you want to say to black people where they don't believe you, they just think you're tripping or smoking weed? 
I mean, I did do that right before I left the house, but, uh... <laughs> Sorry, in all seriousness, what do you want to say to black people? Um, honestly, I want to say that, like, in that moment, I guess I felt what it was like in my... to be persecuted for no reason, uh, just solely for the way that you look. You know, I was wearing a pair of busted bangs that, uh, my girlfriend always tells me to throw away. My hoodie was had holes in it, the Adidas that I had had like uh, the logo was falling off, so I didn't look like a, a scummy person. And I was wearing a mask as well, so I, I feel like I was just treated at, at face value and not taken, they didn't take a second to consider like, oh yes, it's coronavirus times, everybody has a mask on right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Would you be go, would you, okay, so they're camped around City Hall still, for more demonstrations are you going to any of those demonstrations too because maybe you should be telling your story more of what you experienced on may 20th i think you should um, be getting your voice out there i see i always do like to go down whenever i see a dem- like a demonstration pop up in like either my social media feed or something i like to go down and uh, check it out and i like to uh if, if it's something that I stand with, I like to be a body in the crowd, you know, just saying, like, I stand with this. So, the, the, the uh, especially as well, the protests that were going on earlier in the month, definitely, you know, I, I came downtown and I definitely partook and I was there. I wasn't, I'm not a sign holder or anything like that. I'm more of like there uh, as a silent number, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What do you want to say to city council? city councillors of toronto and what again do you want to say to toronto police um i guess i want to say the same thing to both of them which is perhaps uh, there needs to be a little bit more uh training in special scenarios like this because uh that's another thing that came up that i think i, I forgot to mention because i i kind of rambled a bit through the story Go ahead. Uh, um uh at one point when uh when the when the handcuff was no longer uh, opening, uh, the, the cop that was yelling at me came up to the other cop and he said something uh, along the lines of like, "Oh, is that the rookie's cuff?" Like trying to like uh, push off, deflect the blame off to like, "Oh, the untrained people or whatever," you know? Wow, wow. That you and again, we're gonna. I'm gonna repeat myself now. Imagine if this was a black man or a black woman. Or imagine if this was an indigenous man or an indigenous Absolutely. woman. Imagine if this was an Indian man or an Indian woman. How would you react, police? Exactly. And, and to that point, uh, there's this big, uh, um, I guess you could call it a debate going on uh, in uh, Ontario news, I guess, where people, uh, or I guess Canada news in general, where people can't really decide if there's some kind of like systemic racism in Canada, and I think that uh, there clearly is, and to look at it, all you have to really look at is the inception of Canada as a country to kind of see that there has been that in its in place, you know? And as well, if you look, all the premiers are all white. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and what do you want to say to that? Because Doug Ford said there's no such thing as systemic racism, and global listeners, this is our premier of Ontario, Toronto, so... Today we are talking about a Canadian perspective. You can look up all this of what we're talking about too. And the Bloc Québécois leader of Mon- of Quebec or Montreal said there's no such thing as not really systemic racism. And even the police chief said there's no such thing. Not our police chief, but I believe the one in Ottawa said there's no such thing as systemic racism too for the military. Yeah. Um, and 
I, yeah, I, I can't disagree more. And I think to that point, there is like systemic racism that takes place everywhere. You know, no country is free of it, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no country is free of it. But there are people that, again, white privileged people. What do you want to tell white privileged people that say, I think you all are exaggerating. It's not as bad as it is in America. Uh, well, I think that uh, we need to take also into consideration the fact that, like, for instance, where George Floyd was is not that far away from Canada. These problems are not something that can simply be stopped by a border, you know? It's something that's uh, inherently cultural, in my opinion. You know, uh, from everything as simple as the music you listen to, the television you watch, it all pushes this into you from an early age. Mm-hmm. Now, would you write about, you should be writing about your experience, would you write about your experience in your upcoming album in the future, or a single? Um, I definitely have parts of it that I want to address. I feel, um, I, it's not something that I would necessarily dedicate a whole uh, song itself to, but perhaps if I'm, maybe a song that I'm working on is more about, like, police in general and, and reflecting on uh, police in every country, you know, from uh, USA to Canada to even other ones that I grew up in, like Switzerland, where I've seen police uh, do things that not necessarily are above board, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you feel now that you've shared what you went through on this podcast and you gave us the exclusive, by the way? And I do know <laughs> there will be a most, I can bet you there'll be somebody reaching out to you. So what do you want to say if they're going to be tempted to reach out to make sh- sure your story's legit? Um, I mean, I have, like, a, a case card from the Toronto police that you can, I'm sure, look up. Like, I, I, I have, a, uh, I have a, a genuine belief to kind of, like, express this, because this is something that, like, uh, I feel like there's been also, I've seen on Instagram and stuff, people saying things, like, uh, on posts about what's going on in the USA, like, this doesn't happen in Canada and stuff like that. And to finally be able to get it out is kind of a way to show people, like, yes, it does happen in Canada. It's not just the kind of thing that occurs in the USA, you know? Mm-hmm. What's your opinion when they mock and say blue lives matter? I, I think uh, that's honestly appalling. Like, I can't get behind that at all because... At the end of the day, the blue is a shirt. The black is their skin. You can take off the shirt. You can't take off the skin. Oh, preach. And when a white man says it, it's good too. (laughs) 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 Well, you know the truth. You see, listeners, when he's saying it, it's so true. And it's right. You can't take, I cannot peel off my skin. I tell the people this. I can't change being black. I can hide many things. I could hide... I could hide a lot of things, but being black is what I am. I can't change exactly. that. So blue lives, it, it don't matter, really. It don't. That's a job. That's a career. That's a profession. Being black is not a profession, and it's not a job, by the way. It's just what I am. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> it's just fundamentally you, exactly. It's fundamentally you. Now, how do you feel in 2020? being a white man and being a privilege or do you kind of starting to feel inferior now about your race too um honestly 
me personally, I know that I've grown up my entire life as a Caucasian, but I've been fortunate enough to kind of grow up uh, a lot of times in different countries. For instance, you know, uh, when I was younger, my parents, as I uh, mentioned earlier, uh, moved to Ghana. To They were both international teachers. And so they just thought for, you know, a year it would be fun to move there and uh, experience what it was like. And, uh, you know, when I was there, I experienced as well kind of what it is like to be have everyone stare at you for your skin color, you know. I would walk through a market and people would grab my hair and stuff like that. And I kind of learned to just uh, accept the way it is. So I don't personally feel as though my skin color is something that will... Uh, cause me any setback or any any detriment and I think the the things hopefully in my in my uh, optimism for the world I hope that the things that cause that do cause me privilege from it are, are equalized and so that everybody is afforded the same opportunities you know mm, that's good that that's that's a good message so you're not basically hating yourself because some white people now maybe they feel bad or what do you say to the white people that don't want to like i'll for example i'll use a story maybe donovan has a friend and you know a white guy says well there's been more white people shot by the police than black people what do you say to that i mean yes if you look at that yes but also in usa for instance uh, black people make up like I think 13% of the population so of course there's going to be a higher statistic but if you look at it probably uh, readjusted per um, respective uh, representation of the entire population I'm sure that the statistics would change mm. <laughs> you're very smart it looks like traveling around the world and living many different places opened up your mind so you're not ignorant <laughs> And listeners, he's not ignorant, he's very open, and he's acknowledging that, yes, black people do face discrimination, he's not one of those white people, He and he just, you know, was accused of a crime he didn't commit. Absolutely. A crime he didn't commit. Now, I know, again, there must be listeners saying, Donovan, why would you have him on the show then, because you don't know, but... He needs to get out his story. I need you. It's been bottling him up, and I'm glad he got it out. I definitely know there will be somebody reaching out to you in the future. So again, what do you want to tell those people? Uh, I'm open to anything. <laughs> okay, so we hear that, listeners. He's open to anything. Um, you know, why don't you throw out your platforms? And if you want to give us another message, you can say anything. Why don't you do that? Uh, absolutely. Uh, so I guess uh, what I'll say is that if anyone wants to follow me, I guess the easiest place is you can find me on Instagram at uh, BoyFreezyRapper. That's B-O-Y-F-R-E-E-Z-Y-R-A-P-P-E-R. -E 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 and... Uh, I guess I, I feel like the one message that has been on my mind lately is I feel like uh, this whole mask situation, for instance, have you seen that uh, um, starting July 7th in enclosed public places now in Toronto, uh, masks are required, right? Yes, yes, yes. And uh, on Instagram, I've seen a lot of pushback for that in the comments. Um, a lot of people saying like, oh, it's so unnecessary, especially since we're over the curve and everything. And to that, I guess I would say, 
I, 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 my perspective also comes from my father. Uh, he lived in uh, Barcelona right now, which uh, I'm not sure how much you know about what happened there with uh, the coronavirus. But there they went into like absolute, uh, complete, like total lockdown. And uh, they're still having a lot of like cases coming up, cases coming up still and still. So the people who are saying like, oh, but we're pretty much done here. We can now go out to Wasaga Beach without masks, everybody. I, I feel like people need to start uh, doing more uh, what is their societal role and not just saying like, oh, my mask is uncomfortable. My people, I'm worried about you marching to all the black people for a minute. I'm worried about y'all marching down there because, you know, statistics, I'm, I don't know why they did a race statistics. Statistics say black people and Indian people have had it the most. I don't know where they're getting that statistic from. Could be true, oh, really? could be not. I don't know, but they're saying in Canada they found black and Indian people had higher rates. Southern Indian and East Indian had higher rates of getting it than any other races. So black and Indian were higher to the virus. But it's the I, uh... neighborhoods they live in too. So how do you tell somebody to self-isolate that's living with seven people? Yeah, exactly, and especially as someone who's living with seven people and probably also has to be going out to be making money, right? So they're also going around living along the populace. So I feel like the CERB payments that the government has been doing are not going to be great in the long run, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you think people should be marching to be being, I know every, like you just had mentioned, everybody's thinking, some people probably think this is over. No, the virus didn't really go anywhere. Yes, we're just nipping it in the butt, but 100 to 200 cases is still a lot of cases. Absolutely, and I mean, you just have to look south of the border, where I think a few days ago, maybe even yesterday, uh, Florida recorded that they had something like 11,000 cases in one day, uh, which, that's not like, Florida ain't that far away, and eventually the borders are going to open, and those people are going to come up here. Oh, oh, and I'm, you know, and that's another topic you can, I can go hours in. Do you think the government might regret going into stage three? Um, I think they might, honestly, because I feel like we have seen a lot of uh, spikes in cases in the last few days. I feel like if you follow the trend, like, I feel like it's going to be the kind of thing where a second wave is going to hit at some point. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, I do see it. I'm just scared. I'm concerned about all the demonstrations going on, and I'm concerned that a lot of people might be getting sick within the next few weeks. Absolutely, and uh, between the demonstrations, and I've seen like uh, people in uh, USA have started doing concerts. I think Dub Baby's already having a concert, and uh, Chase Rice, a country artist, is also having a uh, a concert. And I think now is not the time to like start pushing for touring. You know. I don't think now is the time. I mean, Vanilla Ice, for all you teeny boppers that remember, Ice, Ice, 
baby. Of course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to have a concert in Texas, but it definitely went on thin ice because they didn't allow it. So there was no ice. It was on thin ice because <laughs> the, call the tickets that they had, well, apparently Vanilla Ice clapped back and saying those tickets were ordered before, and he said he didn't realize it was that bad in Texas. What do you, are you even ready for a performance, by the way? <laughs> like, what if your management says, you got to go on tour? We don't care if the virus is gone. Um, I think uh, at this point it's more about... Uh making sure that like everybody involved is safe and necessarily throwing out people to start uh, concerts just to like get the money wheels moving because you know concerts eventually are something that can take place in the digital sphere in some way you know people uh through this whole lockdown time have started doing a lot more uh, uh like live stream performances where i've had even a lot of friends that are musicians that i've been really happy to kind of like be able to watch them from across the globe perform their music, which I never had the opportunity to do before. So I think uh, uh, rushing to to push for concerts when there's still like cases everywhere, I think that's just nonsensical for the case of money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's all about the money, money. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, it is so good to get to know you, Mason. I want you to throw out your singles again quickly and closing in the album. Uh, absolutely. So uh, you can check out my single Maelstrom, which is on Spotify. Uh, my EP, How I Lost My Soul, is on Bandcamp at uh, boyfreezy.bandcamp.com. And uh, as well, there's going to be a music video coming out uh, for the uh, lead song in that EP uh, in the, at the end of July. And at that point, that EP will also be available on streaming with an album coming early 2021. Uh, all things going well. And he's going to write about his experience, right? And he's going to, I'm going to convince him that he needs to start talking about that because it wasn't too long and I do think you shouldn't sit on that. I think you should make, well, you've already made your voice heard here. So let's see what happens. Absolutely. You've already convinced me, darling. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to throw out your Instagram one more time? Uh, yeah, absolutely. You can find me on Instagram at uh, Boy Freezy Rapper. So B O Y F R E E Z Y R A P P E R. All right, Mason. I really enjoyed getting to know you. I really enjoyed it. Me too. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I'm uh, eternally grateful. All right. This is episode 18. I think I said that in the beginning, but. Follow along with me, listeners. Sometimes when you're doing so many podcasts and interviews, you forget the numbers, okay? So if anyone wants to reach me, Donovan, D-O-N-O-V-A-N, period, L-A-C-R-O-X-I, at gmail.com. Please send me only positive things. If you have anything negative to say, I will not look at it. And you can find me on Instagram at DLaCroxy. And that's Donovan, my name, L-A-C-R-O-X-I. Um, and yeah, well, I would love to chat with you and see what you have to say about the show. Again, Rapper Mason, I want to thank you. And that is it for episode 18, published July 3rd, 2020. Take care. Thank you very much. Take care.